Welcome to the History of Christianity podcast with Stephen Bedard. I have touched on some of this in my lectures on the Synoptic Gospels, but I wanted to put together a clear and concise description of the important texts known to the Jewish people during the first century. Some of these were written in the first century and others were written before. We're fortunate that we have quite a bit. We will start with what the Christians call the Old Testament and what Jews call simply the Bible. Scholars generally call it the Hebrew Bible. It's also called the Tanakh, a word that doesn't really mean anything, but is rather an acronym for the three sections of the Hebrew Bible. This brings us to the important point that the order of the Hebrew Bible is not the same as that of the Christian Old Testament. For example, Christians will know Malachi as the last book of the Old Testament, whereas the last book of the Hebrew Bible is Second Chronicles. The acronym Tanakh stands for Torah, Nevim, and Ketuvim. The Torah are the five books of Moses, also known as the Pentateuch. Torah is often translated as law, although the word is closer to that of instruction. The Torah is the most authoritative section of the entire Bible. The second section, the Nevim, is the prophets. The prophets of the Hebrew Bible overlaps, but is somewhat different from the Christian understanding. The prophets are divided into two sections, the former and the latter prophets. The former prophets are Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. These are what Christians would call historical books, but are considered prophets by the Jews. The latter prophets, like the former prophets, include four books. These include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. The Twelve are what Christians call the Minor Prophets, all compiled into one book. Notice that Daniel is missing from this section, but we'll get to that. In the Gospels, Jesus frequently speaks of the Law and the Prophets. In this, Jesus is basically making reference to the Bible. But what about the third section? It's possible that the final section was not finalized until later in the first century, even after much of the New Testament had already been written. That doesn't mean that the books were not written yet. Rather, the final decision of what was in and what was out was not made. The final section is the Ketavim, which is translated as the writings. This is basically everything else in the Old Testament. It includes the Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. See, Daniel made it, it just ended up in the writings and not the prophets. So how did things get changed for the Christian Bible? Well, it wasn't a Christian innovation. A major step in the sharing of the Hebrew Bible was the translation into Greek. This is called the Septuagint. There is a legend about the translation found in the letter of Aristeus that details the miraculous process under the orders of King Ptolemy of Egypt. There's very little fact in the story, although there may have been an Egyptian connection, as there was a large Greek-speaking Jewish population in Egypt. The translation probably started with the Torah in the 3rd century BC, and the rest being finished sometime in the 2nd century BC. It was at this time that the Old Testament received the current order. It's also the time that the books received their familiar titles of Genesis, Exodus, etc. These are all Greek names. Before that, many of the books were known by their first couple of words in Hebrew. The Septuagint was an extremely important book for the Jewish people. Many Jews lived outside of Galilee and Judea and spoke Greek. 
But the Septuagint became even more important for the Christians. It was the Septuagint, rather than the Hebrew Bible, that the New Testament writers quote most of the time. The Septuagint became such an important part of the Christian faith that the Jews eventually distanced themselves from it. This brings us to the Apocrypha, which many Protestants call Catholic books, when in reality they're Jewish books. There are actually both Old Testament Apocrypha and New Testament Apocrypha. When I'm talking about Apocrypha in this episode, I'm speaking of the Old Testament Apocrypha. The word Apocrypha comes from the Greek for obscure, or to hide away. Within the Jewish tradition, these books were not considered appropriate for everyone. These books are considered deuterocanonical by Roman Catholics and anagignoscomena, which means things that are read by the Eastern Orthodox. They're included in the lectionary readings in the Book of Common Prayer for Anglicans. As a side note, the very first Bible I ever owned included the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha include quite a wide range of genres. There are additions to the books of Esther and Daniel, There are religious novels such as Tobit and Judith. There are apocalyptic works such as 2nd Esdras, sometimes called 4th Esdras. There's wisdom literature such as the Wisdom of Solomon and Ecclesiasticus. Some of the most interesting and useful books are 1st and 2nd Maccabees, which are the histories of the Maccabee family and their fight against Antichius Epiphanes. I often say that if people are going to read anything from the Apocrypha, it should be 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Related to, but distinct from the Apocrypha, is the Pseudepigrapha. The Pseudepigrapha means falsely attributed. In other words, a book presented as being by a specific author, even though it really wasn't by that author. Some of the Apocrypha is pseudepigraphical. For example, Second Ezra's was not really written by Ezra, and the letter of Baruch was not really written by Baruch. But there are many other texts that belong to the Pseudepigrapha. Some of the books that belong to the Pseudepigrapha include First Enoch, Jubilees, Life of Adam and Eve, Assumption of Moses, Psalms of Solomon, and the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. The Letter of Aristeus, mentioned in the section on the Septuagint, belongs to the Pseudepigrapha. Interestingly, the New Testament book of Jude includes short quotes from two books of the Pseudepigrapha, First Enoch and the Assumption of Moses. What that means for their understanding of these texts is ripe for speculation. The texts that belong to the Pseudepigrapha were extremely popular among certain people within Judaism, and that brings us to our next group of texts. For a long time, we had very little in terms of 1st century BC and AD Jewish texts. Both texts authored during that time and manuscripts from that time. Even our earliest Old Testament manuscripts were close to 1000 AD. That all changed in 1946 when a shepherd stumbled on a number of manuscripts in a cave in the Qumran area near the Dead Sea. More discoveries, thankfully by some archaeologists, continued until 1956. The texts found at Qumran fall into three categories. The first is that of biblical texts. This was a huge event for biblical studies as it moved up our Old Testament manuscripts by a thousand years. A portion of every book of the Old Testament was found at Qumran, except for Esther, possibly because that's the only book that doesn't mention God. The Isaiah scroll, in particular, was an exceptional find, as it provided a text almost exactly like that found in today's Hebrew Bibles. Another interesting find was that of some Hebrew texts that represent a form of the biblical books as found in the Greek Septuagint. The second type of text that was found was that of the Pseudepigrapha, 
Books such as First Enoch and Jubilees were very popular among the Qumran sect. These manuscripts greatly increased our understanding of the early nature of these texts. The third type are texts that seem unique to the Qumran group and that represent their beliefs and possibly their history. These texts include the War Scroll, the Community Rule, the Thanksgiving Hymns, and the Copper Scroll. There was also a number of Pesher texts. Pesher refers to a style of interpretation. One of the most well-known of these texts is the Habakkuk Pesher. If you ever feel like the New Testament writers are taking too many liberties with the Old Testament, I encourage you to read the Pesher texts and see how conservative the New Testament writers were in their interpretations. Speaking of interesting interpretations, that brings us to our next collection of Jewish texts that you need to know about. Philo of Alexandria lived approximately 20 BC to 50 AD, thus making him a direct contemporary of Jesus. However, unlike Jesus, Philo didn't live in the Jewish lands of Galilee or Judea, but in Alexandria, Egypt. As has been mentioned numerous times, there was a sizable Jewish community in Alexandria. We're fortunate to have quite a few surviving texts by Philo. In C.D. Young's translation, there are 43 texts written by Philo. Much of what Philo wrote were biblical interpretations through a Greek philosophical lens. Philo held to a Stoic philosophy with a heavy dose of Plato, but at the same time was a devout Jew. He didn't see Greek philosophy and Jewish religion as being in conflict. Much of his writings are aimed at demonstrating how compatible these worldviews really are. I said that Philo was a contemporary of Jesus, and yet Philo never mentions Jesus. Why is that? There are two reasons. One is that Philo lived in Alexandria, and he didn't concern himself much with what was happening in Galilee or Judea. It's unlikely there had been much Christian influence in Alexandria before Philo died. The other reason is that Philo wasn't writing history. There was no reason to talk about Jesus, even if he had heard of him, because it didn't touch on his topics. Philo may not have been writing history, but our next Jewish writer did. Josephus lived between 37 and 100 AD. Josephus was too young and too far away to ever have met Philo. Josephus was born Yosef ben Matayahu. Josephus tells us that he experimented with different sects of Judaism. He eventually found himself a general of the Jewish army during the Jewish war against Rome. Josephus was captured and he made a timely prophecy that the Roman general Vespasian would be the next emperor. Vespasian indeed became the next emperor and he became a patron of Josephus. It was in the context of extremely difficult relations between the Jews and Rome that Josephus wrote. Josephus completed his first work, The Jewish War, around 78 AD. It covers the time between the Maccabees and the fall of Jerusalem. In it, Josephus attempts to clarify the reasons for the war. The next work is The Antiquities of the Jews, which was completed around 93 AD. Josephus covers history from creation to the Roman War. He argues that the antiquity of the Jewish people demonstrates how important they are. Josephus also wrote a book called Against Appion, which was written sometime after 94 AD. It's a defense of the Jewish faith against the criticisms of a man named Appion, and it is a work of apologetics. It's interesting to note that both Philo and Josephus were preserved, not by the Jews, but by the Christians. Having said that, they are both extremely important for understanding the Judaism of the first century AD. What about the works of the rabbis? We have such works in the Mishnah and the Talmud, 
but these are much later works. Although they may contain traditions that go back to the first century, we can't be confident of what does and what doesn't. There was a time when Christian scholars uncritically tried to reconstruct first century Judaism with the rabbinic traditions, but that is frowned upon now. They should only be used with extreme caution, and they should be used more for understanding the times during which they were compiled. And that brings us to the end of the Jewish works that we need to know about. Next time, we'll shift gears and look at what we need to know about the Roman Empire for understanding the beginnings of Christianity. Please check out the website, historyofchristianitypodcast.com, and subscribe to the podcast. Consider leaving a review on iTunes and perhaps supporting financially at patreon.com slash hopesreason. And also check out my new podcast, The Second World War, and you can find that at secondworldwarpodcast.net. Thank you for listening, and God bless.